Hi, my name's Paul. My name is Reese. And you're listening to No Garnish. So, Paul, what is this week's episode going to be about? Do you remember? No. That's why I asked you. <laughs> okay. We are drinking Jaeger Eaters. God, that sounds really German. It's a margarita made with Jägermeister. Oh, uh, right. Okay. Oh, interesting. Because you said mm. it sounded awful. Yeah, it does sound awful. I just think because my attribute with Jägermeister yeah. in the 2000s um, when I was um, a wee nipper going to clubs, there was a really big thing of Jäger mass promoting it in clubs. Mm. And you'd have like Jäger girls come round with free shots. Jägerettes? Jägerettes. But like, they would give you so much Jäger shit. Like you get a, a Jäger light, a bandana, a lanyard, a whistle... A, a wig. No, I might have made that up. A t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like Jaeger wig. <laughs> Jaeger wig. Which is like, there was like a, a, a tremendous amount of free Jaeger shit. Yeah. And then you drink the shot and I would just be like, this is horrendous. So oh, you didn't like it. And then and then, and then you had Jaeger bombs, which was like Jaeger with uh, Red Bull. And that, that gave me like heart palpitations. Like I okay. thought I was going to die. <laughs> I'm going to throw up and die. I thought maybe we could have those today. But I'm good good job I decided against that idea. Well, I, I, I wouldn't be able to get you. I wouldn't get to sleep until about Monday. Well, that was my thinking. Yeah, I just don't like Red Bull though. I'm not a Red Bull fan, uh, listeners. So, so when you You're said worry me with the heart palpitations, maybe I should get you to sign a disclaimer before we do episodes. <laughs> I love like, it. If I accidentally then, yeah. kill you with something, uh, yeah. yeah, disclaimer, no, like a, yeah, health waiver form, waiver just in form. case I accidentally kill you one episode that you you undertake these podcasts at your own risk. We're making a verbal agreement here. Is this your polite way of saying you don't want to do the show with me anymore? You've actually poisoned it. I'm going to have heart palpitations and die. Let's get straight into the drinks. Right. I, ha I really have no idea if you're going to love this or hate it. Oh, mm, okay. It's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Okay. It tastes a bit like root beer because it's got that kind of caramel, herbal, rooty taste. You drink it, it's quite sharp, isn't it, at first? You get mm. a little sharp, like, Feep! like that. Yeah. Eep, uh, like that. Uh, on your teeth. Yeah. On, on the back of your tongue. <laughs> a little bit like that. Uh, and then um, and then you drink a bit more. <laughs> I'm really glad that I got you to sign that disclaimer. <laughs> uh, you drink a bit more and then it sort of goes down your throat and you're like, hmm. And then you get the sort of caramelly kind of herbal root beer sort of taste to it, like brown sugar. And it's quite sweet. And then it goes down mm. and it actually warms your stomach up a bit. Yeah, it gives you a bit of a warmth in your stomach. It's quite nice. Or was that just acid reflux? <laughs> <laughs> no, that'll be the alcohol. So, the Jaeger Eater, created by a guy called David Cordoba in the early 2000s. Right. In the recipe that we're drinking today, there's two ounces of Jaegermeister. Right. An ounce of Cointreau. Okay. An ounce of fresh lime juice and a quarter ounce of simple syrup. Interesting. And Jägermeister is 35%, so it's not that far off a spirit yeah. strength. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you might hate it, actually. Oh, so you're quite surprised that I... Because it's a little sour. The margarita is a sour-type cocktail, mm. and this, I think this is the sourest cocktail we've done so far, because I know right. you're not that crazy about them. Yeah, Josh would like this. Mm. But Josh you, likes sour cocktails, whereas but, me, I'm, I'm, I'm too sweet and innocent. But then you say you like margaritas. Um, I like the idea of margaritas, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I had one. Okay. I like tequila. I've decided since the Batanga episode that I really like tequilas. Hey, here's a tequila fact for you. Next year, 
tequila is going to be the first time that tequila outsells bourbon in America. It's oh, been, Tequila has become more popular than bourbon in America. Wow. God, that's interesting. Tequila and mezcal as well, yeah. So why is that then? I think like it's easier to get a hold of. There's lots of different brands now. I think maybe because the drinks that you can make with tequila are lighter. Oh, interesting. Maybe. A bit fresher. Just not as heavy in, as bourbon, and maybe that's where people's taste is going at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I definitely prefer rum and tequila than I do over bourbon and whiskey. I get you wrong all the time. I thought you were really into bourbon. Oh, I like it, but I prefer, I prefer rum dark rum. rum. Dark rum is mm. my most favourite spirit, it? yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah, that's when Captain Flamingo comes out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's when my Captain Flamingo comes out. I can hear the zipper unzipping us at the moment. Don't say that. (laughs) So what what type of cocktail is a margarita? So a margarita is a daisy. Oh, a daisy. And a daisy is a type of sour. And a daisy is a spirit, a liqueur, and citrus. Right, okay. Whereas a sour is a spirit sugar and citrus right so it's it's the liqueur element that makes a daisy a daisy oh interesting so this is kind of a daisy except the Jägermeister isn't really a spirit right but close enough what is it a liqueur it's a liqueur it's in in fact its proper name is a krauter liqueur a krauter liqueur yeah Oh my god! Why does everything? I know I I make everything sexual, but that's because a krauter liquor does sound incredibly sexual. Mm, I take you to the back room and we have some krauter liquor. Have you got a metaphor for the diegerita? I think I'm I'm thinking trains. It is a little bit like you're on one of those old trains, and um, you know you're travelling on it, and you're one of those old freight trains, and they're rusty. They're like a rusty brown colour. And you're in a pair of jeans. And the jeans are dirty and dusty. Right. And they fit really well. And they're your favourite jeans. And then it's summer. And it's a warm day. And you've got the cargo doors open. And you know this is a bit dangerous that you're travelling on this train because you haven't bought a ticket. You're not supposed to be on this train and you don't know where you're going. You've just got your backpack. You've got your... And you've got a little handkerchief around you. And if you're really lucky, you'll have a lovely little white dog. A little white fluffy dog with you. And you're on that train. And you feel the sun beating down onto your chest. And then you have a little Jaeger eater. And you just love it. So that's what it makes you feel like, a raunchy hobo riding the rails. <laughs> that's exactly what it makes me feel like. Okay. Yes. Nice. Yeah, and it's something quite sort of... Yeah, because it reminds me of um, root beer and dandelion and burdock. I always attribute those uh, that flavours with the 50s. I imagine they drank a lot of that in the 50s. Mm-hmm. So I have a sort of slightly Americana 50s feel about it, but... Because it's the the Jaeger eater, I'm imagining that you're going across the Siberian freight train from Siberia to Germany. Oh. And you're going across the open plain landscapes in the summer. Does it ever get warm in Siberia? I don't know, but maybe we're not in Siberia. We're, like, still in Germany 
in the countryside. Oh, in the hills. German countryside. Yeah, in the German countryside. Okay, we're not on an American train. We're on a German train. On a German freight train. German countryside. Yes. Summertime. Are you wearing lederhosen? I can wear lederhosen. Well, I know it's all about the outfits with you, so <sighs> do you want to choose what you're wearing? for the, Well, I was thinking, yeah, just a nice pair of classic American Wranglers. Oh, no, actually. you said jeans, didn't you? Sorry, yeah. you've really said that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I, d- I don't find lederhosen sexy, I'm afraid. Do you not? No. Mm. I'm thinking classic. I'm thinking, thinking classic. Look, you know, uh, a thin checked shirt, flannel shirt, with the buttons halfway down, open. Nice bare no, chest. I don't think I need that imagery. <laughs> I'm not sure I need that. A pair of white underwear with the waistband just slightly above the jeans. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> I've got to stop doing it. I've been realising... With Jaeger hunk the... printed on the... Jaeger <laughs> hunk! Printed on the <laughs> band. I'm listening to previous episodes. I'm realising that I've really got to stop making everything sexual and I've really got to stop talking about sex all the time. Well, what will be left? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm like one note. empty husk. <laughs> what, me? Yeah, I know. I know. I just think like, you know, when people like always talk about sex, they're they become really boring and I'm wondering if I'm turning into one of those gays do you know what I mean okay I, I hadn't thought that good it's there in the humour but I think that's because you've t- become a bit taken over by Princess Strider oh it's her fault I think it's her fault I think Josh is worried <laughs> he's really worried um, he's going to be like you literally weren't the man I fell in love with because you've turned into a drag woman turned into divine (laughs) into divine (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah that's my metaphor so what is the history of Jägermeister when did it start so the story of Jägermeister it starts in 1878 a guy called Wilhelm Mast founded a vinegar and wine company Wilhelm Mast Wilhelm Mast Wilhelm Mast. God, that's a name. Wilhelm Mast. I think all German names sound really <laughs> epic, don't they? Yeah, exactly, yeah. So he 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 founded a vinegar and wine company in Wolfenbüttel. Wolfenbüttel. And in the early 1930s, Wilhelm's son, Kurt Mast, he set about concocting a Krauter liquor. <laughs> That's never going to get old. So, Kurt Maston Wootenbottom. Yeah, in Wolfenbootle. <laughs> Kurt Maston Wolfenbootle. So, a Krauter liquor. <laughs> and he made the Krauter liquor. Is that is that his party game? Kurt Maston's Krauter liquor. His party, his party special. <laughs> well, yes, that's exactly what it was. Was it really? Yeah. Wow, okay. So, Krauter liquor is a herbal liqueur. Right. And it's been used as like a medicine for centuries. Right. You, you steep herbs and spices in alcohol for a few days. That extracts all the flavour. Then you add sugar. And that's how you get Jägermeister, basically. Is that right? Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so Jägermeister was his Krauten liquor? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh, so Krauten, like German liquor? Yeah. So Krauten liquor means herbal liqueur. I was thinking about this, right? So Jägermeister is made from 56 different herbs. And I was thinking, it's a bit overkill, isn't it? Like 56, I'm sure you could take out a dozen of those whatever's in it. Yeah. And probably not notice. Like, does anything really need 56 different ingredients? Um, I think chocolate cake definitely needs that. When I make chocolate cake, at least 56 ingredients. <laughs> 56 different types of chocolate. Your recipe, okay. Ah! Um, but you know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm sure you could skip a few of those things. I don't know, man. I mean, I just don't think the Jägermeister tastes that great by itself. So, Do yeah. Not? You don't I like think, it? I think maybe they went a bit overboard. When did you last have any, though? Uh, probably about 10 years ago. I think retry it. I don't know. I don't know. It's like, I remember it giving me heartburn. Oh, it just reminds me of, like, getting drunk when I was a, a student. It's a lot sweeter than you think it is. Is it? Yeah. Unlike an Amaro, Krauter liquors are quite sweet. And it's got... Yeah, I quite like Jägermeister. It's got like a... You can definitely get cinnamon and a bit of chocolate from it. Oh, interesting. Anyway, Kurt Mass. Kurt Mass. Makes his Krauter liquor. Right. Which is herbal liqueur. This is the early 30s. Right. And Wolfenbüttel, the town of Wolfenbüttel, it's got the highest number of wooden houses in all of Germany. It's it's a very sort of medieval... <laughs> I thought you were going to say something else then. Yeah, is it very... You? I thought you were going to say it's got the highest number of Wolfenbüttels in it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why it's called. I was like, what's a Wolfenbüttel? And it's like a very medieval, like German. Okay, so where Wolfenbüttel is, yeah. there's forest and hunting grounds. Oh, okay. There, right. And so in the early 1930s, at the time when Kurt Masters developed this Krauter liquor, right. the Nazis have just got into power. Oh, Nazis. And the Nazis were really into animal conservation. Oh, right. Oh, interesting. And Hermann Goring, in 1934, established this new Reich hunting law. So they're really into animal conservation, but yes. not human conservation. Yeah, we're, we're going to come back to that. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. So that area near Wolfenbüttel yeah. was like hunting grounds. Right. And the Nazis used to go hunting there, like the top Nazis, like Goring. The head people in these areas, so be that like um, game wardens or senior foresters and gamekeepers. Yeah. They were called Jägermeisters. Jägermeisters? Masters of the hunt. Oh. And he established himself as the Reichsjägermeister. Right. Basically the, the top Jägermeister. So, so, what, so what does Jäger mean? Hunt. Hunt. Oh. In that Jägermeister means master of the hunt. Oh, and Meister. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. so that's going on at the time that Kurt Mast develops his Krauter liquor. Right. And... As far as I'm aware, there's no known association or link between Jägermeister and Nazis. But he was an industrialist in that area where the Nazis used to go hunting. He did probably go on some of those hunts. Right. But it's, that gave him the idea of how to brand his Krauter liquor. Right. So he named it Jägermeister after this new role that Goring had just brought in. Right. Made it in a nice hunting green bottle. Right. And the logo, if you remember the Jägermeister logo, which is a stag with a, yes. a cross between its horns. Yeah. And that comes from that comes from St. Hubertus, who was the patron saint of hunting. And right. he became a Christian because he was out hunting one day and he saw this stag with a glowing cross between its antlers. Right, right. And he dropped to his knees and said, what do you want me to do, O Lord? And a voice... The voice of God said, go and see this bloke on the other side of... <laughs> I love all that sort of voice of God stuff. Like, basically, like, yes, it was the voice of God. No, it was your mind who thought, I know, yeah. Johan, the priest, well, he always has good ideas for shit. I'll go and ask him. I know. But it... But it it's this, it's this kind of, like, crazy divine, in, you know, I've been touched by God. I've seen a hallucinogenic stag because I'm pissed in the woods. It's such a weird one, that, as well, of, like, a, a glowing cross between the stag's antlers. Yeah. Was the stag, I wonder, aware that... Oh, it, what, 
thought that has got this glowing cross. Yeah, that it was being. <laughs> it's just going through the forest, <laughs> like cross glowing, all the other animals going. Have you seen? You've seen Roger? <laughs> Something's up with Roger. What's that glowing cross about? Quite like the idea of like instead of a stag, it's just like a squirrel, like a snail. <laughs> With a little snail. glowing cross. <laughs> a little chaffinch. Anyway, yeah, so basically these hunting parties would occur in these lodges and castles in the forests of Germany. Yeah. Attended by the Jägermeisters and the Reichsjägermeister Goring. And Kurt Mast thought, hey, this can be my audience for my liqueur that I've just invented. Right, right, right. So he gives it this whole hunting branding. right. And yeah, it takes off. Oh, that's interesting. That's where Jägermeister starts off in in Nazi hunting lodges. So basically, he got uh, the wealthy Nazi elite on board with it, and then they were like, "This is awesome." Yeah. Yeah, and because this whole hunting master role was created by Goring, Jägermeister used to be called colloquially it used to be called Goring Schnapps. But there is no other connection between Jägermeister and the Nazis other than they were its first audience. Right, I see. And they and they had this whole animal conservation thing. Yeah, which yeah. I just found that really strange. It was one of the first things they, the Nazis did when they came into power was pass these animal conservation laws. Right, interesting. So they banned vivisection and they banned you couldn't slaughter animals unless They'd been anaesthetized. Right, okay. And if they won the Second World War, their plan was to ban butchering. And so, because one, Hitler was a vegetarian, wasn't he? That's well known, isn't it? Yeah, he was a vegetarian. But um, um, all these others, like Goring, they, they were really into animal conservation. And people who broke those laws would be sent to concentration camp. Wow. They were very Nazi about it. Right, right. God. But the animals benefited. Yeah, I mean, I'm, in some ways I'm kind of not surprised because I think often what comes with extreme right-wing values is um, conservatism. Kind of keeping things the way they are is what a lot of extreme right-wing values often, you know, kind of kind of keeping yeah, everything yeah. and making things more traditional and making things kind of more backwards because it's kind of almost yeah. this idea that the past was better than is better yeah. than the future yeah, yeah. Uh, because they're, they're, they tend not to be progressive right-wing governments mm. you know so there's kind of interesting that there's this kind of duality this kind of like uh, sort, of, sort of irony really kind of protect all the animals but you know the people that we don't like we can kill those and put those in awful concentration camps and and of course like the thing with the nazis is that it progressed as well didn't it you know it it, it didn't start straight off the bat with concentration camps and everything you know i mean i think they were pretty pretty brutal from the beginning but yeah. all these things progress over several years, don't they? And they yeah. get worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And, and, and war accelerates these kind of horrors as well. So it's interesting, isn't it? So Jägermeister started in hunting lodges, but how did it get to where it is now? Because now it's like a multi-million, na multinational brand, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. One man is responsible for One that. One man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's this American entrepreneur called Sidney Frank. Right, okay. And in the 70s, started importing Jägermeister. And at that time, it was drunk by very conservative blue-collar Germans. That was who was drinking it in Germany, and then German immigrants in countries around the world. They'd like their after-dinner digestive, a little shot of oh, okay. Jägermeister. And so he started importing it because there was like a small market for it in America. And right. Was, and then in the 80s, there was this newspaper article 
in like a Baton Rouge newspaper. And it said it was it, this weird German liqueur had become a bit of a craze among college students. Right. And they were drinking this strange German liqueur called Jägermeister. And some of them believed that it had elk's blood in it. And, and it, you know, the, the design has not changed. So it's like, it looks a bit gothic. It looks a bit weird. And so Sidney Frank saw this. He's already importing it. And he thought, well, that's interesting. If yeah. college students in Baton Rouge are knocking this stuff back, yeah. maybe there's some potential there. Right, so he, so he started trying to push it to other college areas and he'd send out the Jaegerettes, like right. scantily clad girls who would encourage the students to do shots. Oh, shit. So this has been going on for a long time. So what I was yeah. seeing, you know, in the nightclubs of like Bath and Bristol and Brighton and everything back in the 2000s, that, that's been going on for a long time. Just yeah. get, get sort of sexy girls. Um, Jaegerettes and Jaeger dudes later. Jaeger dudes. Yeah. So, right, interesting. And it, yeah, so that started in the 80s. Got a toehold in America. And then that just became a global brand. And he became you know, like a multi-millionaire. He's also the guy who... So, Grey Goose. You know Grey Goose Vodka? Yes. Yeah, yeah. They were just this French vodka company. Right. And they're like, how can we make... How can we market vodka, our vodka, yeah. and make our brand stand out? Yeah. And he was the one who came up with the idea of market it as super premium vodka. Right. It's no different to other shit. Right. But if we market it as like, oh, this is the best of the best, yeah. and we charge double the price for it, yeah. and that's how Great Goose became a big brand. God, that's so interesting. There is so much about that. You have to, um, you have to really stand strong. You have to be very like uh, convincing in your conviction and invest in the idea that your yeah. product is is more. It's so interesting that though, because it's just time and time again we hear about that in all sorts of products. Um, you know, I remember when I was at Curry's uh, selling stuff over Christmas when I was in my early twenties, and um, you know, selling TVs and being like, "Look, you can buy this Sony TV." But I was like, you can just buy an LG, which is just as good. But because they're, they're not a big brand yet, you know, they're like half the price. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, and honestly, it's the same. It's the same component. It's the same shit, but just with a different name on it. And people will pay through the nose because it's that kind of belief. It's the belief. Yeah, you can believe it's more expensive. You can believe. And then so that you believe it tastes better. In blind taste of um, Grey Goose. Yeah. Usually cheaper vodkas come out better <laughs> oh god it, it that's really, so funny it really isn't better than wow the others at all it's so 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 interesting that though isn't there there's lots of like premium particularly with alcohols and people go like oh this is really premium this is like you know and then you taste and you go this is bloody horrible oh god and they're like oh that's because it's an acquired taste and you haven't acquired <laughs> right. it yet so that's sydney frank generally regarded as a bit of a marketing genius well, yeah, clearly. Because literally, yeah, he sold... He sold uh, ice to Eskimos. A bit like that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And of course, everything about branding is about aspiration. Because I was like watching a documentary about Abercrombie and Finch. Oh, yeah. And just the kind of insidious kind of um, marketing of them, highly excluding. They would only employ very good-looking people in their stores. Um, Oh, that's right. And they were all a bit aloof. And and, and the owner, the CEO, uh, famously said that he didn't make any larger sizes because he didn't want any fat people wearing his clothes. Mm, mm. He wanted only beautiful, good-looking people wearing it. And if you were part of the Abercrombie & Fitch kind of um, look, you know, if if you were part of the club... 
you know, you were almost branded with the, uh, you know, with their brand on it and you could feel superior. And I think a lot of stuff in the 90s is kind of interesting when you think it's only 20 years ago. But I think nowadays society's changed a lot in the last 20 years. But actually, when you look back at the 90s and the early 2000s, like it was perfectly acceptable to be that excluding. You know, that was just a part of branding to be yeah, like, you know, yeah. you're either in our exclusive club or you're not. I've, got, I've kind of gone off, I've gone off on one, but it's just kind of interesting because it kind of just made me tie the two together because, you know, if he did that in the 80s, noticing the American frat houses drinking uh, Jägermeister. Mm. But also they, one of the things, there was like this rumour that it contained deer blood. Right. Which it doesn't. California, Uberellis, California, Uberellis, 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 California. So going from the hunting lodges, the Nazi hunting lodges, right? That got me down a path of finding out stuff about Hermann Goring. Oh right! So you went down the Nazi path. I went down the Nazi hole, the Nazi rabbit hole. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is with this podcast, we go where the wind blows. And we never quite know where it's going to go. You know, like drinking Tokyo stations, that leads us into the world of Tokyo train jingles. Yeah. Drinking Jaeger eaters, that's going to lead us into the world of Nazis. But we're going to try and keep it jolly. Not Even though we're talking about Nazis. Nazis and keep it jolly. I don't think I've ever heard that before, ever in the same sentence. <laughs> talking about nazis but we're gonna keep it you know nice nazis maybe the, the, the lighter side of nazism disclaimer we are not nazis and well, i guess we're going to be talking more about the absurd side of nazis <laughs> shouldn't be having fun with nazis <laughs> is that our tagline <laughs> yeah, don't, <laughs> don't have fun with nazis don't have fun with nazis i uh was looking for some Nazi jokes to send you okay. and then I just realised that no Nazi joke is funny. No. Is that the point of Nazi jokes that they're not funny? Oh, I don't know. Something about like, yeah there's something about like Hitler's brain splattered on a wall or something. <laughs> <laughs> funny. Yeah. One Nazi joke that is funny yeah. is that constant repeating of the downfall meme. What's that? You know that, that the scene in the movie Downfall, yeah, where Hitler's losing his shit at his generals. Oh yeah, and they just put different subtitles on for anything. Oh yeah, that's always funny. That's always funny. You like that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I I can't remember it. I mean, there's there's two types of Nazis. There's I love um, your two types. Yeah, please. my two types of things. There's the really aggressive, shouty Nazi. Yeah, like yeah. Get in Or there's the like, oh, I am a camp Nazi. Ah. We're definitely going more in the direction of camp Nazi. And the camp Nazi is always a little bit like, um, always a bit fetishy. They like their long leather coats. They like their gloves. I think archetypally, the, the camp Nazi as a bit of a homophobic kind of reference of the oldie days would, yeah. would be the would be the officer or general and I'm thinking of kind of um, uh, Indiana Jones with the Nazi in that the camp Nazi in that yeah and it would you know uh, bound the American hero muscly American hero man in, in a cell for interrogation <laughs> Ooh, and there would always be a sort of sexual undertone to it all am I right? Mm. yeah 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 I haven't just um, uh, imagined that. 
<laughs> no, that's a good analysis of Nazi tropes in cinema and books, I think. It is, isn't it? Yeah. I think, uh, so that's the two types of Nazis Gobbit that you have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you, know you? Anything, do you know anything about Herman Gore? No, I don't. Not really. I mean, we did a bit of him in GCSE history. Did you? And I got good marks, everyone. I was quite good at history. Well done. So Herman Goring, he was a World War One fighter pilot. You hear that? Of course. <laughs> it's like someone walking on gravel. Uh, this is my dinner. I've not eaten dinner tonight. So Goring started out as a World War One fighter pilot, and he was a really good pilot. He was very decorated. He shot down a lot of enemy planes, and he rose through the ranks. Right. And if you had, you must have heard of the Red Baron. Yes. Yeah. Red Baron used to fly that um the Fokker triplane, the Red Fokker triplane. <laughs> The red fucker triplane. The red fucking triplane. You know what Oh, I mean. yeah, you know yeah, I mean. yeah. The triple, the triple plane. The triple wing. That was his plane. This is where Flying Circus comes from. Right. So it comes from the German fighter pilots in World War One, And they had these brightly colored planes. Right. Like they weren't into camouflage then. Like he had a right. bright red plane and the others. Right. They were like rock and roll before rock and roll. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the German fighter pilots of World War One with their brightly colored planes. And they didn't have a permanent base. So they would set up these temporary airstrips right. with their brightly coloured planes and tents, and that became known as the Flying Circus. Right, right. And that's where that phrase "Flying Circus" comes from. The, right. the German air aces of World War One. So that oh, so they because they were like a circus. Why were they doing circus tricks in the First World War? Surely they had more important things to do. No, it wasn't a real flying circus. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> Why were they so brightly coloured? It was so, it was so that they could easily identify each other, so they wouldn't shoot down their their own i'm not sure because i think that's one of the things that often doesn't really get talked about a lot in war is this the amount the sheer amount of friendly fire is just insane how how often and how frequent it happens and you know i you can kind of see why just like you know when you see a, a war film or whatever and they're in a dugout and they're being shot from all directions and the panic takes over or whatever or you've got the confusion of it all yeah i mean i've played enough war games with with teammates to realise how much how many times I shoot my friends. <laughs> okay. Do you know what I mean? Or throw a grenade at my own team. Listeners, I'm I'm a little bit prone to that and I often would be asked to leave sometimes if I did it too much. Yeah. <laughs> But you're doing it by accident or Yeah, purpose. just because I'm just a bit incompetent at uh, that sort of thing. Be excited. Get a bit excited. And, well, listeners back then, I used to smoke when I played games as well. So, you know, it, it, it wasn't a very good combination. Smoke the Mary Jane, you mean? Yeah, it's not very good for cognitive abilities, is it? So Herman Goring followed in the footsteps of Baron von Richthofen, the Red Baron. Right. Like a lot of people in the German army at that time, Goring didn't believe that Germany had lost the war. There was this thing called the stab in the back myth. Right. And the sizable number of Germans believed that Germany had been sabotaged by people within Germany. Right. And that the Jews were part of that. Right. So that's where some of the anti-Semitism com comes from. And that they'd, they'd all conspired to undermine the, the German war effort. And that's why Germany lost. Oh, what? In, in the First World War? In the First World War. Yeah. So he joined the Nazi party in 1922. And he was he was quite popular. People liked Goring. 
and he became Hitler's right-hand man. Right. And he built this really elaborate hunting lodge called Karin Hall in memory of his first wife who died. And, I mean, he did it loads of... He really liked bling. He liked dressing up. Right. He wore makeup. He liked right. doing... Like, he would host these big parties where he would do multiple costume changes over the course of an evening. Well, yeah, and you've just shown me his, like, incredibly intricate, incredibly camp pistols like with ivory magazines and really ornate and ostentatious incredibly ornate like incredibly yeah he had he had another thing that he used to carry around because he he became the commander of the luftwaffe and he was also the guy who set up the gestapo in his command of the luftwaffe role he liked to have this jewel encrusted baton that he used to walk around with oh my god he sounds so camp there's this guy who was the top stuka pilot of the war and he recalled twice meeting goring um, the first time he said Goring was dressed in a medieval hunting costume and he was practicing archery with his doctor. <laughs> right, okay. And the second time he messed him, he said Goring was dressed in a red toga fastened with a golden clasp and he was smoking an unusually large pipe. Right. Yep, so, and, he, and he kept lion cubs that he borrowed from the Berlin Zoo. He borrowed lion cubs. Right. And he, and he used to keep lion cubs. And right. And when they got too big, he'd send them back to the zoo. And go, right. Loved his bling, loved dressing up, wore a bit of makeup, and had these castles and lodges that were filled with stolen art from all over Europe. The value of his art collection was $200 million. Oh, my God. That's how much he personally stole. But just him, him Just alone. him alone. $200 million. Oh, my God. That's crazy. So this is an interesting little story. Right. This is my last bit of fact stuff this evening. 2010. Right. There's this old guy called Cornelius Gurlitt. Right. 77 years old. Mm. And he's crossing into Switzerland. Yeah. From Germany. And he's just he's just acting a bit suspiciously. Right. And so the guards, border guards, mm. pull him over to have a word with him because he's just being a bit weird. Right. And so they find on him 9,000 euros. Yeah. But that's still under the limit that you're allowed to take. So he hasn't done anything wrong with that. But he's still being a bit strange. There's just something's not right. And so they go and search where he's living. And when they go and search this apartment, they find 1,400 works of art worth tens of millions of euros. Wow. He's got this stash of old Nazi stolen art. Right. There's Matisse's in there. Right. There's loads of really famous artists' work. Yeah. And it turns out she, he was actually the son of Hildebrandt Gurlitt. And Hildebrandt Gurlitt was one of Goring's four art dealers. Oh, right. And so the, the authorities take this art and then they can't work out where it goes. Right. And who's meant to own it. Right. And the programs to deal with the restitution of the art stolen by the Nazis, they've just never worked very well. Right. So the estimate at the moment is that there are at least 100,000 pieces of art wow. that are still unaccounted for. So they're in public and private collections, but they were stolen by the Nazis and now they belong, now they're in museums or people own them. Right. But they can't place where they were stolen from. Right. So they're still in those public and private collections. So why, why I thought so, you said originally that the Nazis were going to sell this. Why did they not sell it? Well, they sold a load of them. At the time, they were actually trying to sell it through dealers. Right. But they were amassing it faster than they could shift it. Oh, I see. Like, I remember reading there was another bit where they found a huge hoard in a mine somewhere. 
Yeah. Like hundreds of thousands of paintings in, in a mine. Actually, mines get used for quite a lot, isn't they? Because there was a massive uh, horde of Universal, uh, of film studio uh, films that okay. were found in a mine. Really? Yeah, they were stored in a salt mine. And obviously right. salt and celluloid film. And it's because, like, you know, the film studios were just like, what's the cheapest place that we can store all these films? Yeah. And, and you know, that's the sort of thing that's interesting about, you know, pre-digital is that, you know, like film, like analog film for a, a, a movie is like reels and reels of fucking st- of the stuff. It's like it is it physically takes up a massive amount of space. Yeah. Well, so imagine those great big paintings by masters and... Yeah, stuff. Yeah, they 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 amass a massive amount of rooms, yeah. isn't it? And because it's also it's not just paintings; it's sculptures and yeah. But um, yeah, look up pictures of Karen Hall. It's like it's like a cross between a hunting lodge and Buckingham Palace. Oh, is that what you just showed me? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you must must burn off a lot of energy though walking around it. That's why you have servants, <laughs> isn't it? It's toga. Yeah, it didn't keep him slim. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so what was he like, Goring? Was he so? You say he was the the, the nice Nazi, but well, I, was I, there I, ever such a thing as a nice Nazi? I, did I say nice? I said he was the like the friendly face. Oh, the friendly face. But what was he yeah. like as a Nazi? Was he gay? No, apparently he wasn't. The SS did a report on him, right? And they said he had homosexual tendencies, right? But there's there's actually no evidence, so people think that that was more like a slur to discredit him. Oh, really? And apparently when he first found out, he was furious. Yeah. And then just started to laugh it off. Oh, really? Just made a joke out of it. It's interesting, isn't it? There's a book, I think, called The Pink SS, which is about a, a lot of um, gay people in the SS and, a lot of, and, and being being a gay Nazi and all this sort of stuff. Because, you know, famously, Berlin particularly, and actually Germany, G- German Germany before Nazism was an incredibly uh, liberal place for homosexuals particularly. Because, Oh, sorry, homosexual. I actually only just found this out recently. It's not homosexual, it's homosexual. Is it? Okay. Yeah, because it's the Latin... I've been saying it wrong all these years, but yeah, uh, and the idea behind that is because they think there was a gay king. I can't remember when he was around, but that, but that's why Germany pre-Nazism was always actually notoriously kind of, um, or famously quite liberal with homosexuality. So yeah, and it was only really when the Nazis came in that it changed, and I think it changed later on. I mean, I think also of the context of the time, I think, you know, it wasn't like, like it is nowadays where it's completely fine. I think that people still had reservations about just being open with sex anyway. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I think generally speaking, it was much more liberal, particularly Berlin. So, um, so I find that kind of interesting, really, the idea of, 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 you know, was Goring gay? Just because, and it's sort of interesting, isn't it? How we kind of automatically assume a straight man or just a man, as, as soon as they show any flamboyance, Yes. We automatically think they must be gay, and I find that yeah. quite an interesting concept in itself. Yeah, he liked dressing up. He liked dressing up. He liked his bling. Yeah, and he, he liked, liked his. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know why I'm defending him because he's a Nazi. I know, I but know. you know, it's kind of interesting, really. Yeah, I've, you've kind of almost sold me. I'm always kind of like, yeah, Goring. Yeah, he sounds like quite a. I've actually forgotten he's a Nazi. Do you know what I mean? Oh, he was definitely a Nazi. Yeah, well, he was the yes. second Hitler's right-hand man. It's interesting about, like, Jaeger, uh, Jaegermeister. You know, when you were saying about profiting off the Nazis, mm. you know, of course, the two companies that... And there's a lot of companies out there, but the two main ones that come to my mind are IBM, 
because there was a whole thing, wasn't there, about I think it, IBM machines were first used in the Holocaust. So uh, IBM and the Holocaust, um, a strategic alliance between Nazi Germany and America's most powerful corporation, is a book by investigation journalist and historian Edwin Black, which documents the st- uh, strategic technology services rendered by American-based international business machines for the Nazi government of Adolf Hitler. So I thought that was quite interesting. Mm. And then the other one is obviously Boss, Hugo Boss. But of course, Hugo Boss was... was, uh, was designed. Designed the German yeah. um, Nazi uniforms, didn't he? Yeah. And then also what was quite interesting is um, the Tintin comic artist... You know, I think he had to start making propaganda for the Nazis. Right. But I guess when you're occupied, what do you do? Yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? I can't imagine what it would be like to live under a occupied government. I guess we'll just find out what happens to the Tory parties in the next uh, 20 years because they're increasingly becoming more and more fascisto, aren't they? So, listeners, welcome to Who Wants to Be a Cocktail? So, listeners, we've been down very, very dark alleys, haven't we? We have. And I'm going to change the format very slightly differently this time. Okay. And you don't have to guess the cocktail. I'm going to tell you the cocktail. What? Do you like guessing the cocktail? That's the whole point of it. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. That's why it's called Who Wants to Be a Cocktail. (laughs) Oh, okay. Maybe we will keep that format then. This time, the cocktail isn't the same as the film. Do you want to know the ingredients for the first mystery? cocktail how many are there just the one okay (laughs) (laughs) yes let's hear the first okay it is the ingredients are half an ounce of rumple mince peppermint liqueur and another half ounce of jägermeister herbal liqueur chill them before use and pour the rumple mince into a shot and then add the jägermeister and that is your cocktail oh so it's like a shot mm, it's a cocktail shot right. to the heart darling right. a bullet to the head so that is the cocktail if you can guess that cocktail you win 10,000 adulation points and then if you can guess the film and remember the film relates to the episode and the cocktail and the cocktail yes right. both of those things are you ready for my three clitoristic clues <laughs> yes <laughs> okay cryptic clue number one once upon a time in occupied France a Euro war raged cryptic clue number two when needing a proof of death a double feature that grinded to a halt a half glass of milk left by a child out of wedlock. Wow. Okay. A- and cryptic clue number three. A quintessential misspelling that was by no mistake. And those are your three cryptic clues. And if you can guess the film and guess the cocktail, or either one of those, go to No Garnish Pod on Instagram. And message in, or you can email in at nogarnish at fastmail.fm. Right. Have you got any ideas? Not for the cocktail, but I think I know the film. Ah, interesting. Well, all will be revealed on the next episode. And that is this week's Who Wants to Be a Cocktail? (laughs) 
Excellent. Oh, thank you very much, darling. By the way, I had my first ever Princess Strider makeup yesterday with Kat from my acting course. She gave me a beautiful, lovely arrays of eyeshadow and everything. It was fantastic. You showed me a picture. Yes. And I was blown away. You look amazing. I look a little bit like Ursula from... My Little Mermaid. My Little Mermaid. <laughs> yeah, but in a good way. <laughs> so, are you ready for the next... For Are you ready for me to break down the last episodes of Who Wants to Be a Cocktail? Yeah, there were two cocktails, weren't there? Two films, two cocktails? Yes, there were two cocktails. So, the cocktail was The Maverick, because we were doing uh, an episode of Tom Cruise. Tom Boozy Cruisy. Tom Boozy Cruisy, that was it. And the clue was like a shooting yearling. Well, a yearling is a young animal, which is also a, a maverick. Is it? Yes. I didn't know that. So, like, shooting yearling from a forty-five. well, 45 is a gun, it's top gun. There's no points for second place, and your ego's writing checks. Your body can't cash. That is two quotes from the movie Top Gun. So, flip your birdie over and grease up for speed. Well, another uh, phrase in that was need for speed. Yeah. And um, flip your birdie over. Well, um, you know, Goose is his uh, rival, isn't it? Uh, and also, and give your man a cheeky wink. Then I jettison your payload high into the sky. Well, the thing is, Top Gun is renowned for being an incredibly homoerotic movie. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of uh, people don't realize that. <laughs> a lot of straight guys who are like, oh, I love Top Gun, don't actually realize the incredible homoerotic subtext in it. How can you not say that? <laughs> I don't know. So, if you got that right, you win 5,000 adulation points because that was the easy one. Right. And for the next one, that was a hard one. The uh, cocktail is Gorillas in the Mist because Brian Brown, he was in Gorillas in the Mist. Gorillas in the Mist, yeah. And if you got got it right, the clues were Fuzzy Fossey wasn't a bear. Well, the woman who Sigourney Weaver played was Diane Fossey, who was Brian. a real person. Was she fuzzy? Uh, fuzzy Wuzzy did have black hair. Well, the black hair was, uh, you know, a, a reference to the gorillas. Because, uh, well, it's, what was it's, the clue? Uh, fuzzy Fossey wasn't a bear, but Fuzzy Wuzzy did have black hair. Well, it's, it's, it's you know, a play on the Fuzzy Wuzzy yes. was a bear. So that the, was the I, first I like the clue. idea of Diane... Diane Fossey. Diane Fossey being called Fuzzy Fossey. <laughs> fuzzy Fossey. Yeah, maybe she had a giant bushy minge. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the other one, the other, the next clue was vanishing into the distant fog. Well, you know, instead of what's a fog, it's a mist. Yeah. They could have been humans. And I put a emphasis on the Z. Yeah. What was that about? But instead they are the last living souls with their rhinestone eyes. Three tracks from the gorillas. Oh. Last Living Souls, Rhinestone Eyes, and Humans. I think Humans was the album. That makes total sense now. And uh, the last clue, there's no panda in Rwanda. Well, the film Gorillas in the Mist was set in Rwanda. And there's no pandas. And there's no pandas. <laughs> okay, it's brilliant. gorillas. <laughs> Excellent. I like that. And if you got that right, you get 10,000 adulation points. But if you get both and the cocktails, you win 50,000 adulation points, which you can spend um, at a very, very later date when sometime in the future. I have no idea. We're in, we're in negotiations with Argos at the moment. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so far, the only person who has adulation points is Ollie. Right. Well, no, I know people with adulation points. <laughs> oh, do you? Yeah. Oh, we should keep a scoreboard, darling. We should, shouldn't we? People do actually send in their answers. Oh, do they? Well, yeah. you should tell me. <laughs> if you tell me, I didn't know this. I thought no one was answering. If you tell me, I will keep a little log of who wins, and then maybe at some point we'll do a little prize to who wins the most. I'm sorry, I haven't passed on your <laughs> Yes, yes, please do. I want to know. There's people just thinking, what was the point? <laughs> <laughs> Why did I bother working it out? They don't care. We do care. Uh, uh, yes, I, I most particularly care. I slave hours and hours over these. Actually, to be honest, listeners, I've discovered the faster I do these cryptic clues, the better they are. I've noticed that. Have you noticed? Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Okay, that's the end of the episode. Oh, well, we've got, we've, it's been a real journey. We've gone from... Jägermeister to Nazis to stolen art. To um, Sigourney Weaver's bush. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, darling, we all want to end like, up there. Like I say, we go where the wind blows us. <laughs> <laughs> that's where it blew us today. <laughs> right, last thing to do. Roll the dice. Roll the dice. Number 10! Number 10 is the Halikulani. Halikulani is a tiki drink. It's another it? tiki drink. It's a slightly unusual tiki drink because the Halikulani uses bourbon instead of rum. Oh, right. It's okay. a bourbon tiki drink. Ooh. It sounds a little bit like a sort of religious cult, doesn't it? <laughs> like Harry Krishnas. Yeah. yeah. The Harry Kalanis. Right. That's where we're going next episode. Oh, and thank you very much, listeners, for tuning in. Yeah, I was going to say, thanks for listening. Oh, we absolutely love you guys. And we love it when you send us messages. Oh, so please keep, send us messages. Keep them coming, and I'll promise to pass them on next time. <laughs> yes, please do, darling. <laughs> <laughs> and if anyone wants to send me any fan mail as Princess Strider, more than welcome to. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Do you want your own show? Um, I could have my own show, darling. The Princess Strider Show. The Princess Strider Show. It's got a nice ring to it. Are you going to be my talent agent? Riding with Strider. <laughs> <laughs>